Hello and welcome to the True Blue LA podcast. The Dodgers went 3-3 three and three last week and are now 60-32 and 32 with a 13.5 game lead in the NL West. I'm Jacob Birch. With me, as always, is Dodgers guru, Eric Steven. Hello. Uh, yeah, I'm still kind of reeling from, well, hey, the All-Star breaks here, so that's cool. But also, I was just wondering, when exactly did you see Yasiel Puig playing with no sleeves? I think your tweet, I think I woke up late open my phone and it was your tweet with that i saw that the reds were gonna play with it and i just assumed they with like undershirts like a basketball jersey sort of right no, no sir yeah i was stunned i saw the same thing i saw pregame stuff i'm like that's cool honoring ted klazuski and then like and then once the game starts they'll be like normal and then i i just happened to flip on mlb tv let me just check the reds game first batter farmer's tan shoulders like open i was like <laughs> what the hell and I'm like, wait a minute, the Reds have Yasiel Puig. I need to see this through. And then, <laughs> sure enough, he got a single in his first at bat. And I was like, well, I'm going to screenshot that. And I it became, my, I think it's my most popular tweet ever. <laughs> Amazing. Amazingly. 99% of the time, I love that Dodgers are this very traditional franchise. They never change the uniform outside of McCourt's weird no-names-on-the-back thing experiment. They don't really do things like this. But now, in the, like... I want to see Cody Bellinger without sleeves. Well, uh, so the All Star Game has—they're doing sleeveless, uh, but they're doing—it's more—it's traditional sleeveless. So there's going to be undershirts. But I, I think maybe after after seeing that on Sunday, maybe maybe some of the players will just go. You know what? We're going bare arms on uh, on Tuesday. We'll see how it goes, or at least for the home under. But you got to do that. I'm not sure what uniform changes could change how well Cody Bellinger is hitting the ball. Uh, we've been doing this all podcast. We're going to be talking half the show about him, maybe a third of the show about him after this ad break. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So we started every episode this regular season with a Cody Bellinger pace update. We're going to do that again today. But you you went on a deep dive on this week off of regular season baseball. Yeah, I figured there you know there there's not a lot of stuff going on right now at the Dodgers. It's like the same kind of stuff. So I was like, well, let's let's see where Bellinger's at like with his season. But we, we always start with the pace update. So um, just to give you an idea where he's at, he's on pace for 53 home runs, which is higher than it was last week. Uh, 125 RBIs, basically the same as he's been for about a month. Um, but I went deeper. Uh, he's also on pace for 123 runs scored. Uh, the last Dodger with 120 runs scored in the season was Sean Green in um, wow. 2001. 2001, yeah. But then the part that shocked me, when would you guess was the last time before Sean Green that someone on the Dodgers scored 120 runs? You didn't even have to play, name the player. Just pick a year. Yeah, it feels like during that big rookie of the year streak, one of them had to have. So that, that would have been my guess, sort of early 90s. How about Maury Wills in 1962? <laughs> yeah. Maury Wills in 1962 scored 130, and then nobody did. and Nobody scored 120 until Sean Green in 2001. So, uh, yeah, Tommy Davis uh, also scored 120 in, in 1962. That Dodgers scored a bunch of runs that year. It was the first year at Dodger Stadium, and then uh, then it became a pitch park. Uh, the fact so, that you were bringing it up, I knew it was in the 90s, but that would have been my guess. And then I assumed you were going to tell me someone in the infield, someone in the it, 70s did it. It would have been funny if I said, like, oh, it was <laughs> no. Gary Sheffield in yeah. 2000, you know, like one year before. Weirdo. <laughs> yeah, no, okay, so another pace for Bellinger. Uh, he's on pace for 387 total bases. Um, there, there hasn't been a ton of guys get to 400, like, that's like a huge thing. I think like I remember like Jim Rice did in like 1978, and that was like a huge deal. I think Pools did it at least once. Uh, but the last Dodger with 350 total bases. Do you have a guess for that? And it wasn't Sean Green. It wasn't Sean Green. Didn't he do that in one game? Yes, he had he had 340 to- total bases in one game, and then he hit two home runs the rest of the year. Uh, again, I I would have probably defaulted to Piazza. Okay, so not that far back, but okay, um, okay. yeah, Matt, Matt, Matt Kemp in his okay. in his uh, near MVP season, two thousand eleven, three fifty three. Um, the LA Dodger record is Adrian Beltre in his two thousand four season, three seventy six. Bellinger's on pace for three eighty seven. The Dodger record, including Brooklyn, is Babe Herman in nineteen thirty, back when like. If you think like the balls like like a Super Bowl now, like the <laughs> offense was crazy in the thirties. Um, not so much necessary for home runs, but just all over the place. But he had four hundred and sixteen total bases in nineteen thirties. So that's the Dodger record. So right now, ab- do your absolute best to be objective. Is Cody Bellinger the NL MVP? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. Right now he is. Um uh it's really only him or Yelich at this right. point. No, absolutely. I don't think there's anyone else in the conversation and, right and, now. And actually, like, it was funny, like, the um, all-star, everyone's doing all-star stuff now. And MLB this morning just put out, like, three new ads. Uh, one of them has both Bellinger and Yelich. Uh, like, they're they're both, they both filmed independently at, like, their own ballparks. And 
it's they called it like belly versus yelly uh and it's basically them playing a, a baseball version of horse but instead of horse it's mvp and it's the the rules are a little bit bastardized because it's not exactly horse but it's like oh hit hit one in row uh, seat 15 or something and then they they try to hit it and then they just keep doing uh, weird stuff. It's pretty funny, actually. Uh, the acting is terrible, uh, but <laughs> it's it's funny, like just for a baseball ad, I guess. But pretty neat. Uh, but yeah, so it's those two. But um, for me, like uh, you know, defense is what sort of sets them apart. The offense, they're like close enough. Most and they ebb and flow. Like right yeah, now, they're, they're, Bellinger has a slight lead in most of the categories. Not all. Uh, Yelich has Yelich is first base. in some. Bellinger is first in some, and Bellinger is second in the ones Yelich is first in, or vice versa. Jeff McNeil's leading in batting average, but other than that, they're like they're like one two in almost everything. Uh, Bellinger leads in runs, total bases, OPS plus, wins run create re, wins run created plus, and then both wars. Um, but the defense is why. But then he's second in uh, batting average, on base, slugging, and OPS. Uh, so. You know, it's it's close, but yeah, like like the look the defense. Um, Yelich is like average at best on most metrics and and below in, in quite a few. Bellinger's first in the majors uh, among defense and uh, defensive runs saved among outfielders. He's plus eighteen. Uh, the next best outfielder in the majors is plus eleven in that category, uh, Kevin Kiermaier. But then if you look at the Statcast stuff. Um, on outs above average, Bellinger is plus six. That's tied for eighth in the majors. The leader there's plus eleven, which is Kiermaier. So it's like, uh, you know, some. But the point is, Bellinger is very good. He's also Bellinger also leads all major league outfielders in UZR, just ahead of Byron Buxton. To give you an idea of how good defensively Bellinger's been, total zone rating doesn't rate Bellinger as high. He's only plus one there, but like he's he's at at very worst a, an above average defender, but. Uh, most metrics have him as like excellent. Uh, so that's just, really setting him apart. It was so when Bellinger started playing in the outfield two years ago, it, the idea was, well, Hey, this is great. If we have to, we can put in the outfield. Like if, um, even right. back then it was Adrian Gonzalez. If you needed to stash someone and at first base, you could. And now it's like, no, no, we get to use him in the outfield. Let's put jock at first. Uh, we need to keep, keep his glove in the outfield. And it's so, uh, remarkable to me that in two years uh, of how how improved he is right and it's like um yeah it's like okay yeah bellinger can play in the outfield if he had to he has speed um also he's like the fastest dodger like you know like uh oh yeah that, that's another thing so Statcast has a thing that you know they they use you know batted ball data they measure like sprint speed and jump outfield jump and they have this little thing on every individual player page where it's like these little uh, sort of like um, their dials, basically, and like uh, imagine it's like from bad, uh, bad on the on the left side, and if you're if you're the very best at something, you're like all the way to the right. So it's almost like um, I guess a gas gauge in your car, right? And Bellinger's like on full for like everything. Like <laughs> there's like eight categories. I screenshotted it the other day, and it, it's like you know, exit velocity, expected this, expected that from hitting, and then, like, sprint speed, outfield jump, or, you know, like, everything there is, like, all, it's like if you maxed out a video game player, that's what Bellinger's playing this year, so it's kind of crazy. And it's you're right, like, crazy for someone that, came again, came up as an, what we heard from him is a pretty good bat skills um, and an elite first baseman defensively, so you're thinking, oh, who knows how good his speed is and how good his arm is, because those aren't things you necessarily 
fine in the first baseman. And oh no, they're they're elite too. Right. He he. So he had he dabbled in the outfield the first two years of yeah. his career. Um, not dabbled. He he ended up playing quite a bit. He but he had three assists total in those two years. Uh, eight hundred and seventy three innings this year. 656 innings so far in the outfield, he has eight assists. So, like, uh, only Leary Garcia of the White Sox has more with nine. So, uh, Bellinger's been amazing. But you're right. It's like, yeah, he was a gold glove first baseman who could also play outfield if you had to. And now he's, like, indispensable gold glove outfielder, like, who's probably the fastest – one of the fastest guys in baseball. Like, like think about this. Like, any ground ball he hits that's, like, to the, uh, to the, the left of second base, it's, like – he's he might beat it out like that's how fast he is like so um you or at least you're watching for that you know and like routine stuff he he makes it look very difficult uh for infielders to like get him out so it's it's been kind of amazing and it's not just defensively he's a completely different player offensively he's he was always good but he had clear holes that he just doesn't really seem to have anymore right he um until the weekend, he was, I think he was the only qualified hitter with uh, at least as many or more walks than strikeouts. But now he has, he's up to 56 strikeouts and 54 walks. So he's, how dare he, right? But like, it's still like compared to like his other seasons, like it, the ratio was way different. Like he had way more strikeouts and now he's much better. I think uh, the the thing that stands out, I guess, is his, his swing rate outside the strike zone. Um, I was looking at fan graphs on this. Uh, it was 29.1% last year, 28.6% in 2017. That's like percentage of pitches outside the zone that he uh, swings at. This year it's it's down to 25.3%. It doesn't seem like it's a big difference, but like it is. Like there's a lot of pitches like outside the zone. And if you're like, if you let, you know, 4% of all those pitches go, that's like that's you're taking more balls, you're taking more walks, but then it's forcing the pitchers to throw more strikes. And the results have been, you know, he's pounding those strikes. Like his his exit velocity is like two miles an hour higher than his first two years. And then you look at all his like Statcast data. That means like all of his he he has like these gaudy numbers. He's hitting what three thirty six, four thirty six on base, six ninety two slugging. His expected slugging is six eighty. So he's not like. He's not like getting lucky. His expected batting average is actually 353, which is 17 points higher than his actual batting average. So if anything, given how hard he's hitting the ball, he should have a higher average than he does, which is kind of ridiculous. So uh, it's been it's been pretty crazy. He did hit a, a couple um, home run milestones this week. Uh, he he hit um, the Dodgers had that uh, they extended their walk-off streak to five straight home games uh, with uh, the first two games against Arizona. The the first of which was uh, they were down a run, and then it was two outs and 0-2 on Chris Taylor with two outs, nobody on. And so, like, that, that game was over, basically. Chris Taylor drew a walk, and then everybody else drew a walk. Uh, five straight walks to end that game. Bellinger got the last one. And then the next night, Bellinger hit the walk-off home run um that uh that gave him two in the game 29 on the season and then he hit another home run the next night so he has 30 he has 30 home runs before the all-star break he's the first dodger to do it um all-star breaks are weird because they don't you know we always talk about first half second half but it varies like there's not like 
a set amount of games every year before the All-Star break. And sometimes seasons start later and earlier and stuff. This year started in early as it's ever started. So the, the Dodgers played 92 games before the break this year. Some seasons are more. If you look at it, like he would, in terms of fastest by team games, the 30 home runs, he did it in 89 games. Um, and then the other two, uh, I wish, oh man, I wish I had it in front of me. I think it's, uh, it was Duke Snyder and Gary Sheffield. They had 87 games and 88 games, but uh, so just barely had a Bellinger. But like he's basically doing stuff that like, uh, basically like the best in franchise history at all these things. Um, if you, he already has more home runs than he had last year. Um, he has 20 home runs at home. The Dodger stadium record for a season is 23. So these things seem like they're going to like fall, like um, all, all these sorts of records. Um, but it, you know, if you want to be a little bit of a wet blanket, you could say after the break last year, Bellinger hit eight home runs. So like, it's not, you know, it could happen, but that, but all we've talked about, like how he's sort of mod or, you know, modified his approach, you know, solidified things. And he's, he's just a much different and much better hitter now. So I, I do expect that, to, you know, the home runs can, maybe, maybe not at the exact pace he's on, but he's still going to be like super productive, I think in the second half. So we've talked a lot about how this, how he ranks a month in Dodger history, where, where does he rank sort of in major league history? Where does this season rank? Well, I mean, from from major, a guy that's both hitting the ball and playing defense so well. Yeah, so he like at the at the moment he leads in baseball reference war and Fangraphs war. He's at six point six baseball reference and five point seven Fangraphs. Um, so, like, I don't know. He's uh, he's on pace for eleven point six uh, baseball reference war. Like the highest is like 14, I think, from Babe Ruth. Um, so like he's not going to be necessarily up there, but he's going to be like pretty ridiculous. Like um, in terms of like just I just had this in a Dodger perspective. Like mm. uh, he so there's only been, um, you know, like in the history of the Dodgers there, uh, they've only had what is it? Uh, 22 seasons of a, of a position player getting seven war. So he's already at six six. So like, you know, by the end of July he should be there. And then like, and then the highest, uh, the highest seasons are all sort of bunched up. It's basically like either uh, Baseball Reference or Fangraphs is is roughly the same. It's slightly different, but Baseball Reference says Jackie Robinson, nineteen fifty one, he had nine point seven WAR. Adrian Beltre in two thousand four had nine point six. Jackie Robinson, nineteen forty nine, two years earlier than his other year, uh, nine point six. Uh, the Fangraphs highest is Adrian Beltre in 2004-97. That 49 Robinson year was 9-6. So these are all like basically there. So if Bellinger can get to like 10 war, he's he'd have the highest. And, you know, the caveat is if if someone's like 0.1 away in war, they're basically tied. I don't – it's not like someone – it's not a clear victory, but like because these are, you know, more uh, – I don't know. Estimations is probably the wrong word, but it's, it's – they're not like exact uh, – I wouldn't – have them as exact as the numbers make it seem. But the fact that he's on pace to like blow past those is kind of amazing. And like, it would just be funny to see how high he gets up on the leaderboard when it's like August 15th or something. He could, the way he's going, he could be like near the top of this list, like within like a month and a half. Uh, just real quick. There have been uh, using baseball war. Baseball refs wore 20 seasons of 11 war or higher. So Oof. when you hit that, he is in extremely rarefied air. 
That's pretty crazy. Let's talk about another Dodger All-Star and and everyone everyone's favorite stat war. Clayton Kershaw, kind of an honorific uh, attendee to Cleveland this week. You know, you certainly could argue on merit this season he's not the most deserving but certainly deserving of an all-star um and has kind of earned his reputation uh where is he as he kind of enters the the declining phase of his career war-wise so this kind of uh brought was brought to my attention because gary scott uh friend of the show uh friend of the site uh and true blue la member uh he sent me a uh tweet that said are we going to have a party when uh, Kershaw hit 64 and a half Fangraphs war? And I, I didn't, I wasn't sure what he was talking about, but I looked and Don Sutton is the all time Dodger pitching leader in war uh, with 64.4. Uh, Kershaw is at 63, seven. So like, again, like this could be like a next month type of a thing uh, where he leads uh, Kershaw already leads in baseball reference pitching war. Um, he's at 63 and a half there. Uh, Dazzy Vance is 61.7. Don Drysdale, 61.3. Those are the only three with 60 war uh, from baseball reference. So uh, Kershaw has already like cemented himself as, you know, one of the greatest pitchers in Dodger history, if not the greatest. I mean, you know, I think it's a generational thing. Like there's a lot of arguments that say Kershaw is better than Sandy Koufax. Koufax had the performance in the World Series, so a lot of people aren't going to get past that, which is fine. People who saw Koufax pitch like uh, would probably stab you in the eye if you suggested it wasn't Koufax. So I understand, but like I said, at the very worst, Kershaw's like the second best pitcher in Dodger history. So, uh, but like he's also like doing other stuff. Um, he's fifth right now in starts. He's at three thirty one. He's already passed Fernando Valenzuela at Dazzy Vance this year. Brickyard Kennedy, 333, Claude Osteen, 335 are next. So, like, uh, by, again, by sometime in August, Kershaw's going to be third all-time on the Dodgers in starts, like, in history. Now, he's going to be third for a while because <laughs> Drysdale's fourth with 465 starts. So, uh, that's a tall order. And then Sutton, number one, with 533. So, he is, he's 30 behind Koufax for third in strikeouts in Dodger franchise history. He's sixth in wins with 160, five behind Koufax. So these are like, he's going to like pass Koufax in a couple things this year, maybe. And then he's going to, he's going to be the all-time Fangraphs war leader. I'm sure they're not going to stop the game once it happens. <laughs> like I can just imagine that he gets to like uh, uh, 64 and a half war. And then like the game stops in like the seventh inning and then, Someone comes out to the mound and, and they gets an ovation uh, for his career war achievement. I doubt that's going to happen, but I'll, I'll be noticing. We want to talk about one more, not Dodger All-Star, but Cleveland attendee uh, right back after this break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So Jock Peterson is not an all-star, but he is in Cleveland, and he will be uh, doing something today for potentially a lot of money. That's right. Uh, the new, <laughs> this little thing uh, called the Home Run Derby. I acted like this is a big <laughs> secret. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, by, by, Plus, by the time this gets released, like the results are He'll already be a millionaire so. again. <laughs> right, again. Exactly. Again. So the winner now gets a million bucks. I don't. This may have still been going on. I know they revised like the All Star uh, winners of the game get money for the the All Star game itself, but now for the Home Run Derby too, the new format. It's, this is the fifth year of it. It's pretty exciting. It's only eight players, and it's bracket and it's timed. So like, there's no like the worst part about the Home Run Derby when is when people start getting paid. Your hitters start getting patient, and they're like because it's just outs. Like so, if you swing and and don't hit a home run, it's an out, and then. But if you if you let a pitch go by, wait for your pitch, and it's so it's like a it's like the, a really bad slam dunk contest at that point. Uh, but this now with like a, a time thing, it's like you just got to hit home runs as best as you can, and try to set a number or beat the number that is in front of you, and it, it makes for a pretty exciting uh, thing to watch. Um, but yeah, Jock Peterson is one of the eight. Uh, MLB did a weird thing where like they. Um, they announced the the official like field on ESPN. Uh, oh, it was, it was July third, so like day before a like a holiday, and they announced it at like ten thirty Eastern time uh, at night. So like the worst timing uh, ever. Like I, I I stumbled across it on ESPN, and they're like, oh by the way, so and so's in the Derby, and I'm like, wait, this is the announcement, and so. <laughs> Uh, it was just a this stunning display of like MLB not knowing what the hell's going on, but um, yeah. So he's one of the eight. Uh, he's go- matching up against Alex Bregman in the first round. Uh, Dino Ebel is uh, the Dodgers' third base coach is pitching to him. Uh, he's pitched uh, in two other home run derbies. I think uh, one of them was uh, Vladimir Guerrero in 2007 when he won, and. Um, uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. is in this tournament, so it, it's going to be a fun, uh, fun little tournament. But uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, the other uh, he, Peterson was in the home run derby in 2015, the first year of this new format, and, and he was a rookie then. Uh, I was I looked up some stuff for for like the the, the pre home run derby odds for like each of the last five years, and Peterson had, was actually tied for the best odds that year because he had a, such a hot. First half, he had actually started to fade already, and then he we really cratered in the second half, and everyone was like, "Well, he shouldn't have gone to the home run derby when that's never the, the case." But um, yeah, so he ended up uh, he was the four seed that year. They 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 usually cut it off by uh, home, they rank it by home runs by a certain date. This year it was last Tuesday, so uh, he's the four seed. Bregman's the five. Um, actually, uh, Christian Yelich was the one seed. But he has a bad back, so he backed out. So now Matt Chapman is the one seed by default because they already set the seedings. <laughs> so like the we the the jock side of the bracket could clear up really quick, and he could just waltz to the final seed. But no, uh, 2015, he beat Manny Machado in round one. He beat Albert Pujols in round two, uh, and then he lost to the uh, hometown guy at the time, Todd Frazier, who was the, with the Reds then. 
in Cincinnati, and that was a really exciting final. They're, they've been all exciting. So uh, it, it's going to be fun to see. Um, it, it should be fun. Uh, while just before we started recording, they did like the all-star press conferences and it, it became official. Hyunjin Ryu starting uh, the Tuesday all-star game, uh, Justin Berlander for the American league. Um, and another note, since Cody Bellinger starting, we, uh, Robertson intimated that he would be in center field Bellinger. He's actually going to start in right. And Acuna uh, is going to, Ronald Acuna is going to be in um, center. So, but Bellinger's batting cleanup, uh, for the national league, which is the youngest, uh, all-star lineup in history. I think they average just under 26 years, but he's the first Dodger cleanup batter in the all-star game since Mike Piazza, 1997. <laughs> Mike Piazza's yeah. finally the so, yeah. <laughs> so you were right. <laughs> exactly. I was saving it. Yep. And we should also mention uh, Max Muncy, all-star. That's right. He was named uh, Anthony Rendon, I believe, uh, is nursing some uh, injuries or soreness. And he, he was named an all-star for the first time. Uh, Rendon was but he, he's not going to play. Uh, but Muncy was named as a replacement. And we talked about this last week. He, Muncy was, you know, very deserving, uh, both from an offensive standpoint and a defensive standpoint. He's, he's been kind of invaluable moving around, playing three positions. So good, good for him. Good story. We have a lot of questions to get through, but I know you wanted to touch on uh, interleague a little bit. You didn't tell me what. You just said, I want to talk about the interleague. And I said, okay, four questions. I'll let you. Very vague. Yeah, no. Uh, so they, they just because mostly because the Dodgers this week after the All-Star break, they play, uh, they, they go to Boston first I'll time. I'll be there. That's right. Wait, wait, which game are you going to? I forgot. The first, Friday. Oh, okay. So like, it's funny, like all the games start at the same time for the most part, I think within five minutes of each other, uh, because Friday's a normal game, uh, you know, seven time, seven o'clock local. And then Saturday's a Fox game uh nationally and then uh sundays and espn game so all the games are at seven uh four o'clock pacific so gonna be an interesting weekend but yeah so interleague play is back you know how there's there's an odd number of teams in each league so there's always interleague play but you know you know there's never a set time for it so it just comes and goes but uh i was gonna talk about this a few weeks back with the um when they played the Angels, uh, just I had some thoughts on it, but I think I think that was the week Seager got hurt, or I forgot if something happened before that that it just kind of made it move. I, I didn't want to bog down the podcast, but it's really only like a just a note. I always thought uh, if I had to change interleague play, I don't think it's going anywhere. Like my old, I used to think like just get rid of it, you know. But I kind of like it. It's kind of cool. I like the aspect of if it would, I would have a more set like defined thing where it ensured that teams you, you saw teams like every three years. So my thing is if um, this, I think this, re- this requires baseball to expand. So logistically this could be like a nightmare, but if, if you expand two more teams, like who knows when this would happen, but this is my ideal plan. I think I wrote about this. I swear to God, I can't find it, but <laughs> I, I wrote about this as a junior in high school. So this would have been like 1993 wow. for, for Mr. Caudill's English class. Uh, uh, we had, I forgot, it was either like, um, I forgot the exact assignment, but it was like make a proposal or something. And my and my proposal was like how to um, realign baseball and like I had interleague play as part of my uh, this was before interleague play so like I think they were talking about it at the time so it's not like I invented it but um wait you know what I did <laughs> no um 
So I would go to um, 32 teams, uh, 16 in each league, four divisions uh, in each league. So the winners of the four divisions go to the playoffs, no wild cards. Realistically, I, this is never going to happen, but but because the wild cards are so popular. Um, but I think this would be a fair way to do it. But so my schedule, you'd play in your own division. You'd play those three teams uh, twenty uh, twenty two times. So that's sixty six games. Uh, eleven at home, eleven away every single year. If you look at the same league, there's twelve other teams in the three other divisions. You play those teams one series at home, one series away every year. That's six games each. That's 72 games. So that leaves 24 games for interleague play, and it just it alternates uh, divisions every year. You play the same thing, uh, home series and a road series, every four years against the team. So uh, the NL West one year would get the AL West, and then the next year would get the AL Central, uh, and then you know whatever the divisions are. But uh, So that's 24 games. So that way uh, teams in like Seattle – uh, you'd get to see the Dodgers every four years. Same with the Dodgers getting to see the Mariners every four years. Uh, that, that's the only thing I thought about. I, I have no, like, I don't think this will ever happen, but because I, I think like the wild card is there to say, so there's probably going to be some, if they ever realigned or did something like that, it would be more radical. I think where uh, it would almost be like in uh, just a conference setting or something where then they'd have the top, certain number of teams make it and there'd probably still be wild cards, but who knows how they'll do it. But that's just my thought for sort of equalizing uh, and making sure everyone um, sees a team every four years. Cause right now the Dodgers are, they haven't been to Boston since 2010. So, you know, I'd like to rectify that. Like they should, they should go to Yankee stadium every four years. They should go to Fenway park every four years, something like that. So uh, that's how I would sort of switch it up. Twitter questions. We haven't had Twitter questions in a while. Are you excited? Yeah, I, I am. I put out a, a, a lob for questions and got a, got a decent, uh, you know, uh, response. Darian asks, "How far to, to the Dodger, do the Dodgers get with the current bullpen?" So, <clears throat> my snark answer to this is like a couple weeks, <laughs> because it's going to be like pretty different. I think yeah. they're. They're, they're like clearly going to trade uh, for a reliever or two. They actually already traded for one, uh, Casey Sadler. Uh, they got from the Rays, but he's like they already optioned him to Triple A. But like just to put this in perspective, like last year, um, that's uh, you know Dylan Floro was kind of the same like unheralded type uh, pick. I'm not I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Dylan Floro has been, and Dylan Floro has been struggling this year, so it's not like. He's some like ideal, but like that, they're just going to keep adding. And like right now, he's in the in Triple A Oklahoma City, but uh, he's more of a bolt guy. Sadler is, but I think uh, could be useful. Uh, he actually got a three inning save in his first game with Oklahoma City, so I like that. Uh, I I like Casey Sadler's story. I was reading up a little about about him. He's like from Florida, and um, he has a wife and a two year old daughter. And he wanted to spend more time with them. I think in 2018, he decided this. So he started, uh, they bought like a camper and then the family like basically tra trails him during the season in AAA and they just live in the camper, uh, like wherever they're playing. And so uh, he got called up to the majors this year in April. And then he drove from like Durham to like their house in Florida, uh, Bradenton, I think. 
and it was like a 15 and a half hour drive uh, and then, uh, for him to get like his major league call up this year. He's been up and down uh, in previous seasons, played with the Pirates too. But yeah, so uh, it should be interesting. I, I don't expect he's going to be the savior. But, uh, you know, we talked about this before. They're, they're, they've, they've been linked to all the big names like Will Smith, uh, uh, what um, Felipe Vasquez with the Pirates. Uh, they'll probably be in on Brad Hand. We'll see how that goes. But, um, and then the other thing is, you know, <laughs> what if they go get a starter? Then that means like Urias stays in the bullpen for a while. I think he's going to stay in the bullpen for a while anyway, but like just I'm ter- thinking of like October here. Um, you know, if, if Urias is in there, Maeda's eventually going to go to the pen. So he's in there like. So it's just a matter of like mixing and matching. It really depends what they do with July first, thirty first. But um, I think they're going to be very active this month, and that's going to be where they sort of, you know, make those make those um, additions. But let's humor me here. Let's let's say or let's say randomly they add either effectively by trading for a starting pitcher or by trading for additional actual relievers. What does the shape of this bullpen look like to you? They've been getting better uh they still i wouldn't you know i wouldn't call them great joe kelly has been doing the joe kelly thing where he's shown flashes of greatness with random you know let's give up five runs but he's been seeming to oscillate towards what the dodgers are paying him for is this do you see him still does joe kelly remain in the bullpen what names are you excited to bring to the postseason roster with who they have now. So I think unless unless he like completely sucks the last <clears throat> couple months, I think Joe Kelly's like a lock for the postseason. I mean, that's a, that's a stretch probably to say, but like they're like gradually getting him in like higher leverage games. And like the joke is like, I mean, I like Joe Davis and Orhersheiser a lot, but it's like, man, you don't have to carry water for the org all the time sometimes, you know? Yeah. It seems a little much. And they're like every time Joe Kelly would come in and be like, well, is he already six? But man, he has great stuff. You know, it's like you don't have to like stick up for him every single time. That said, this last like week or so, or maybe a little longer than that, the the stuff has really played up. Like he he has looked you know noticeably better. We'll see. I mean, he has to still you know perform to like earn that right. But um, I think you know we'll see. But yeah, I think so. You, you know, Jansen's the obvious. Um, I think uh, Kelly will be there. Baez is going to be there for sure. And then it's like a crapshoot. They'll, they'll figure out a left-hander. Like, uh, I think Caleb Ferguson has been up and down, but he has the stuff to, like, be there, but we'll see. I think, ideally, like, Urias is probably in the pen for them. The only problem is you he can't – he's not much of a back-to-back guy. So you almost have to, like – plan a two outing thing for him or two inning thing for him or something. And then you can't use him for like two games. So this really depends on who's starting. Like if, um, if, if they had a starter, they don't need to move Urias in the rotation in October. Um, but you know, who knows, uh, what's going to happen. <laughs> There's a lot between now and then, but also, I think Maeda is going to end up in the bullpen in October, and he's always been like death on righties. So, I think we'll see. Um, so the the Dodgers this year in 2019 
they're actually strangely eighth in the major leagues in both in ERA, 405. So not great, but like the Indians are number one at 348. So, um, you know, bullpens have been kind of struggling. If you look at just FIP, uh, fielding independent pitching, you know, batted ball stuff, uh, home runs, walk strikeouts, they're 424. That's 13th. Um, so, like, I think they're more toward the middle of the pack than, than necessarily above average. But, and that's with like getting a little better, gradually better as we go. But I, I they still need improvements in terms of like who can you trust. Uh, kind so I of, think they're gonna, kind of yeah. on that. One thing that I don't it would take an injury to change this is Kenley Jansen's going to be the Dodgers' closer. And in this year of the home run that the the baseball is having, how concerned does that make you? Um, I mean, he's he's, he's certainly he's certainly a, right? yeah he's certainly a good relief pitcher. But has he been he has he been closer closer worthy this year? Well, like. I don't think there's anyone on the market like who they would get. Sure, I no, this is I, this, yeah. I can fully admit this is not a problem that's going to get solved. This is the this is what's going to happen. Kenley is your closer, but that may I this year for the first year in a while, first year ever. That makes me going into it nervous. I think you just have to live with the fact that he's he's probably going to give up a few home runs, and you just you just work your way through it. You know. Like, uh, it just is like, um, so I guess Felipe Vasquez is probably has the most like what closing experience he, he or like Brad hand would be the best, like relievers they can get to be like, if Kenley is unavailable or struggling, we could actually turn to this guy to close if we had to, but other than that, like you just got to ride him out. I think, uh, and but yeah, I think that's just like more a part of his game now. But I think they talked about this too earlier this year, where they he they're they're trying to work in other pitches like his slider, where it's not cutter 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 all the time, and then if the cutter's not working, you're kind of screwed. So I think he's working on other things, but you know we'll see. Luis Verduzco has a couple of questions. Uh, first one, I think, kind of straightforward. What are the chances that Jimmy Lewis signs with the Dodgers? Yeah, so he was the pick at the end of the second round uh, for the Dodgers uh, for uh, compensation for losing Grandal as a free agent. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong. I, I should have checked back with David Hood on this, but he seemed to think like, you know, Lewis would probably sign. That seems that? right. That, yeah, that seemed and, to recall that. So we'll find out this week because the deadline is July 12th, uh, which is Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern Um so he has a commitment to LSU. Um, the Dodgers have basically signed everybody, uh, at least with the slot value. And then based on other bonuses, they are um, for you can go like a doll up to a dollar less than 5% over and just get, get charged like a, a, a money penalty, an overage penalty. Uh, but if you go, uh, if you reach the 5% mark, you start to lose future draft picks. And so far, like no team in the draft has done this since they instituted this. So that's effectively the limit. Um, so the Dodgers right now, I think there are uh, his slot value where his pick was is 793000 But with the amount that they're under now, based on other bonuses, and then the fact that they can go up almost to 5% over, they have roughly $1.45 to spend on him. So he was the 78th pick. 
if you looked at like the actual slot values of other picks, like that's that 1.45 million is like about pick 50 or 51 money, which is like top 10 in the second round. Um, and it's almost a full round uh, higher than what he actually went. So, I mean, if that doesn't get it done, I don't know what will, but I, that's kind of where they're at. I, it seems like something that would get done, but you never know. Um, that seems like a, a good amount of money to sign him, but you know, some people have different expectations, but we'll see. Last Twitter question, uh, again from Luis. Do you think the Dodgers brought up Beatty, Rios, Garlic, and Gonsolin to showcase them to other teams and maybe as trading chips? I don't think so. I, 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 I see this question a lot, or, pe- or mention, people mention it a lot. I just don't think that happens, like, a ton. Like, uh, there's scouting is good. There's a lot of video, too, and teams have a pretty good idea of who players are, and I don't think, like, if the Dodgers were, like, Man, we gotta we gotta bump up Edwin Rios's trade value. Is his is Edwin Rios getting like you know twelve at bats over like three weeks? Is that is that gonna really like sway the matter? Like, oh man, he he hit a triple. Like, man, I wanna I totally want to trade for him now. Like, I just don't think that stuff matters a ton. Um, I they called those guys up because they they needed um, bench help, and you know uh, Pollock is down, Seager was down. David Freeze got hurt. All of them are coming back for like the Boston series, by the way. Uh, as we're recording today, David Freeze was actually activated today. Uh, they don't play till Friday, but um, uh, they they optioned Rios and Garlic to Oklahoma City. So uh, the expected move is going to be optioning Matt Beatty as well and then activating both Pollock and Seeger. Both of them are still on rehab assignments. So uh, I think they're playing Monday and Tuesday, or or at least until Tuesday. Um, yeah, that's right. Amy Mann's going to be there. Um, but they, you know, it ex- expected that both those guys will be back. But so Beatty will probably be back in AAA too. But yeah, I I just think it was more need based than anything, and those were the the next guys up on the line. Um, and I uh, it, it had more to do with what they needed on the field rather than trying to showcase them, in my opinion. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We've got a couple of emails full of questions to answer after this ad break. Okay, we've got a couple of questions from Sissy that she sent to us in an email. First question is, will Seager's injuries hurt his career overall in things like all-star appearances, Hall of Fame, trade, or free agent value? I mean, it... He's only 25, right? Yeah. Like it's it's hard to say, like, I don't, like, I'm not thinking Hall of Fame. I mean, look, he had as good of a start as almost any Dodger. 
Uh, he was what top top three MVP in his first year, All Star for two years, like basically upper echelon player in the National League. Uh, both seasons, and he got hurt, but he had like major surgery. So yeah, it's the the thing I'm like bullish on is like he was hitting before he hurt his hamstring this year. So I'm less. There was always the apprehension of wow, well his elbow was hurt, was he going to get his power back? But he's like booming doubles again and hitting enough home runs to matter. Uh, so that was fine for me. Um, now, like hamstrings are a different issue. And like we saw with like Matt Kemp, uh, once he started getting hamstring injuries, and he started getting more hamstring injuries and it just like got hurt. But part of that was like Kemp was also like getting more and more out of shape, uh, especially and he, after he moved on to to like San Diego and Atlanta. But um, I don't know if that's the case with Seager. Um you know he's on the the no dairy team, so like they're, they're not worried about that with him at least for now. Uh, but in terms of the other stuff, um, so before his Tommy John surgery, uh, uh, he played in or the Dodgers had 381 games from his September call up in 2015 to the time he went on the DL in 2018. He he played in 355 of those, 93 percent. It's a 151 game pace. He started 333. That's 142 starts on average per 162. So that's like an everyday, everyday player. Like, you know, uh, there's no 162s really anymore. Um, but so he's he's as regular as you can get. And then, like, he basically did the same this year before his hamstring. So, like, in terms of, like, where – like, he's just going to play every day unless he's hurt. And, like, I think he's going to still put up numbers. But, like – you know, uh, he's he's got a long way to go, uh, a little bit, you know, more to go before like free agency. So I, I don't know, uh, I don't have any inside information on this, but uh, the Dodgers really haven't signed any of their guys to like uh, extensions early or anything like that. Um, at least at this point, uh, at this point in their careers, so it's not something that's on the radar for me right now. Um, yeah, I just you just think hope he'll come back from hamstring injury and, and I think he'll produce, but uh, we'll see. Our next question: What was the earliest point in the season that the Dodgers have been able to clinch a division? Okay, so there's two um, two sort of answers. This one uh, since uh, moving to LA, if you go by um, games in the season, uh, 1977 they clinched in game 151. So with 11 games left uh, in in, uh, in in 2013. They clinched in game 153, but that was the earliest date. That was September 19th, uh, whereas the seven, 1977 was September 20th. So I'd probably go with 77 just based on team games. But the earliest, like in franchise history, was in Brooklyn in 1955. That was the year they started out 22-2. Uh, and two. Uh, Just a crazy great year. Um the, the Dodgers clinched on September 8th of all of all times, uh, game 138. So they had 16 games left. They had a 17-game lead. They beat Milwaukee that day, that which gave them a 17-game lead with 16 to play. So that was very, very early. Can this team do it? September 8th? Hell no. <laughs> that's that that's like too that's too early. Like they, you know. That it's thir- it's thirteen and a half now. Um, if we, uh, I I know we've talked about this because Craig has asked us previous uh, 
the podcast, but I think we had settled on somewhere between either 14 or 15 game lead at the break. And like they lost their last three and it probably would have been around then if they didn't lose those last three, but that's sort of the point. It's hard to go through a whole season without losing three in a row at one point. So uh, yeah, 13 and a half is huge. Um, but even if they like keep that up, uh, if they add to it, you're still looking at like two weeks left in the season uh, or maybe like that, um, like a, a, a September teen number, uh, but not September 8th. September 8th is far too early. It'll be interesting to see how the Dodgers handle this large lead. And if they do clinch even two weeks early, if not earlier, because with the World Series now being dictated by overall record, you have to think that's something they would really, really like to keep considering how well this team is playing at home. Yeah, I would say that. And then, like, they are, they have a, like, a, I think it's what, five and a half, uh, yeah, five and a half game lead in the National League. And then if you go by, uh, in the American League, it's actually like, um, it's, uh, <laughs> well, my brain stopped working. It's only a game over the, the Yankees. The Yankees have played two fewer games than the Dodgers. They have three fewer wins, but one fewer loss. So it's it's a little tricky, but uh, they're 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 kind of more bunched up with the Houston, the Twins, and the Yankees. Uh, mm-hmm. So it'll be tougher. Well, we end the show as we often do for any new listeners. Uh, True Blue LA contributor, friend of the show, friend of the site, and most importantly, friend of your the mine, uh, Craig Manami sends us five questions every week. Usually one food question snuck in there, and the bunch of baseball questions. Uh, you ready? All right. The first question, baseball question. How many games out would you two consider as the time for team to start selling? In the AL, there are three teams within three games of a wild card spot. In the NL, there are six teams within two and a half games. The Giants, who we sort of label as the sellers of the market right now, are only five and a half games out of a wild card, but would obviously also need to pass a bunch of teams to get there. Yeah, like the NL is weird right now. There's yeah. like, it's like the Dodgers and the Braves are good, and then somehow the the Cubs and Brewers are like messing around and they're like not distancing themselves from anyone, <clears throat> and like everyone else sucks, and like what? But everyone else sucking except for the Marlins who are terrible, um, like means that everyone still technically has a chance. But I think the Giants are garbage. Um, they have to be realistic. I know they're only five and a half out of wild card. Too many teams in front of them, um, terrible run differential. So you, you obviously don't you, you you play it out a little bit, but they're they're clearly sellers still, um, because even if they like go on a super hot streak, they're they're not doing anything. Um, so they're clearly sellers. I think you have to be realistic on this. Um, if you're like the Pirates are like probably the team, and maybe the Reds, like the Reds should be better. Like, weirdly, their pitching has been, like, decent and their offense has been just so bad in that ballpark, which is weird. I think maybe they – and then, plus, they played a sleeveless game and they lost 11-1. to 1. So, like, how, how did that not turn things around from Cincinnati? Like, um, the NL Central, that's the weird division because the Reds are in last place. They're 41 and 46, but they're four and a half games out of first. So, like, uh, that's the anything that could happen division, I guess. But um, – I don't know. I, I still, just based on how Cincinnati's played, I would still peg them as sellers. Pirates are like that borderline thing where you'd think they 
they could contend, but they like their ownership's weird. Like they they, they could have like committed more money like in the off season to do things, and they're they're like semi competing almost in spite of themselves. But I don't know if it's real competing. So uh, I don't know. Like I, I, like it's hard to sell that to a fan base. So so I don't want to just say you just got to give up. So if there's an actual chance, they're only two and a half games out of first right now. So I, they can't really sell like full force. But I think if a trade came along that they that would help them long term, I think they should do it. But yeah, it's tough. Um, the Mets are bad. They're forty and fifty, um, just an absolute mess. They have to sell, regardless of what um, you know their manager thinks. Uh, but I, you know, that's a the Wilpon still own them, so like, who knows? Good luck predicting what they're going to do. Um, the Phillies are like in contention, but like also uh, been very inconsistent. So I, I have no idea. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I don't. You don't want to give up on a, on your fan base, basically. But at the same time, got to be realistic. Realistic about these things, like so. I, I'd lean towards selling in a lot of these places, but it's easy for me to say from afar and it's more much tougher to like actually implement that plan we talk a lot about sort of the moneyball revolution and how every team has a sort of stats group that can run player simulations and try to evaluate players that way one of the bread and butters things for those groups to do is to come up with uh playoff odds and stuff 538 has their own uh so they have the giants at a one percent chance to make the playoffs so that that's the team I would look towards um, more, almost more than anything else. That they can kind of get an idea of how the season's probably going to go. Uh, so you looking at the Mariners, Giants, White Sox, Blue Jays, Marlins, Royals, Tigers, and Orioles all have one percent or less to make the playoffs, and then you have the next team after that is the Padres with eight percent. So I think any of those teams in that one percent shot, um, you're pretty safe to do so. But honestly, like I, I would say, like. If you're like 20, you're you should still sell. Probably, you know? yeah. Like, but yeah. You, if you wanted to like wait more towards the oh, deadline, yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, you probably sure. are safe to do so, yeah. and you know see what shakes up. But yeah, yeah, the one one percenters right now, like <laughs> shops open, man. Yeah. Like you start start selling off everybody. The Dodgers have had at least four players with five or more stolen bases in every season from '95 to last season. So far, the 2019 Dodgers only have two players with more than five, Cody Bellinger and Chris Taylor. Besides Alex Verdugo and Max Muncy, each of whom, uh, Alex has three, Max has two, who do you think might steal a few more bases to get to five or more? I don't think it's happening. Well, Verdugo, actually, Verdugo has four and Muncy has three. No, oh, I can't read stats, uh, apparently. No, so, that's all right. Um, so, I mean, Muncy's still like a, you know, more of a sticky guy. I, you got to think Verdugo gets there because he only needs one. Mm-hmm. Bar- Barnes has two, but like, can you can you steal second base from the bench? So like, you know, who who knows? Um, Kiki has two, but he's he did those both in the same game against um, Madison Mumgarner, and he hasn't stolen otherwise. So that's a tough sell. Uh, maybe they maybe they weirdly trade for Rajay Davis to upgrade the bench, and then he ends up like leading the team with like 19 steals in a bench roll. <laughs> <laughs> but no, other than that, yeah, that's a tough, that's a tough call. I, I think they get to three, but four is a tough sell. 
Chris Taylor is the only Dodger position player to have at least one sacrifice bunt this season. If that holds, this will be the first season with just one position player with a sack bunt. Given the way the Dodgers play, would you expect another position player to get a sacrifice bunt? And if so, who? Russell Martin is going to sacrifice bunt on August 18th. Oh, wow. Actually, I'm, I'm going I'm to double check if they actually have a game on that date. That was the first thing <laughs> that popped into my head. Um, they are, they play at, at the Braves on Sunday. Oh, yeah. Getaway day. You want to get out of there? Sacrifice. <laughs> All the way, baby. I I don't I don't see it happening. Yep. So yeah, no. All right. Last baseball question. Oh no, it's not a baseball question. Ha ha. I don't. I can't really answer this. I spent the earthquake on Thursday night sitting in my car in the driveway, and as I thought about it later, the car was parked next to a multi-decade-old brick chimney. So probably not the brightest thing to do. Anything pop into your memories about earthquakes as this last week took place? Craig was in a death trap. <laughs> um, no, yeah, we had two earthquakes, two big ones. Like what? I always, uh, I always used to joke because um, I grew up in Palm Springs, basically mm-hmm. like, which is right on the San Andreas Fault, or you know, very near it. And like, um, the big quake in Southern California was the Northridge quake in mm-hmm. like '94. Uh, I don't remember feeling that in Palm Springs, but the, they used to sort of joke that like. If it's not like a six or higher, like I'm not even getting out of bed, you know, because uh, but it's a stupid talk. But like um, the I felt a lot of earthquakes like when I was younger. Um, but like it seems like we haven't had a large one in a while. And the one on. um, I guess it was Thursday, July 4th. Uh, that was a uh, ended up being a six four. And, um, and then like, that was a big one. Uh, that one's in like near Bakersfield, I guess, or somewhere up there, which is like probably 120 miles from where I'm at. But people were feeling that like in Vegas. And like, I knew that was big because it just started rolling here and I'm on a second floor apartment and it was like, okay, this is, oh, we're having an earthquake. Oh wow, it's still going. Okay, oh this is weird. And then like I, I was like sitting in my chair, I'm like, should I do something? I need to get up right now, don't I? But like it wasn't so bad, but like things were rocking. And then I was like, okay, that was that was something. I haven't felt one like that in a while, but it wasn't like unpleasant. I, nothing unsafe here. Uh, but then the one the next night was it seven one, <laughs> and you know, like the difference between like. Uh, Six four and seven one is like exponential, so it's not like they weren't close. Like, and for me, like this wasn't like necessarily more violent, but I felt it more. And it was like it seemed like it was twice as long, and that's how I knew it was going to be a huge one because we just kept rolling. And like my the one monitor that's on my desk outside of my laptop, it was like um, it almost fell. And like, um, it, I mean, and this is all relative damage. It didn't really suffer any injuries or damage or anything like that but it i knew it was big just because it was so crazy but like i noticed the next day one of my picture frames on the wall um fell off the wall i didn't i didn't notice it the night of but i noticed it the next day so like i must have been paying attention to something else it wasn't it wasn't like this huge thing but uh i did update my um emergency kit in my car i i got like a new like first aid survival type thing with like a flashlight and a knife and all that kind of good stuff. Um, 
and all the first aid stuff. And then um, also I even got um, like these, I forgot what they're called. Like the, the, the little like, you know, dehydrated meals or like there, it's like a, it's almost like a, uh, a protein bar consistency, but it's like supposed to be a meal and they last for like five years. So that those sitting in the back of my car. Now, the only thing I didn't add yet was um, getting water. And so I'm going to add that to my little emergency bag, but now I'm, I'm, it made me more prepared uh, for if a, a truly like catastrophic one strikes. Only a couple notes for me. I was very close to the epicenter for Northridge, so we really felt that. That oh, was man. my only I'm afraid for Thane's earthquake experience. I yeah. Everything else was o- almost fun. You, you know, like, yeah. like oh, it's kind of weird. Um, there's this thing with earthquakes where even the most ardent, I'm only on Twitter because I have to be, I don't actually, I hate social media, but if you feel an earthquake in LA, you have to tweet about it. It's just, mm-hmm. it's a law. And so I moved, moved Kansas City about seven years ago, eight years ago. And uh, I'm like, I'm free of this. And then uh, two, three years ago, there was an earthquake in Oklahoma, right on the Missouri-Oklahoma border. And uh, I'm working at like 11 at night and I see a quick jolt and then the roll, meaning, you know, it's I'm like, oh, this is like, a five, I immediately thought, oh, this must be a five, and it's like 200, 300 miles away. And I'm like, wait, I don't live in L.A. anymore. That's really <laughs> strange. And then sign on uh, I, Facebook, I guess, and there was every person I know in the Lawrence, Kansas City area just ready to show. Was that an earthquake? And there yeah. it was. So I, I had one here. I have to admit, uh, I think both earthquakes, I, I tweeted something. But I believe the, I can't remember if it was the first one or the second one, but uh, a warning, explicit tag. Uh, I believe I tweeted, holy shit, that's a big one. Like, you know, just sort of, it was just the first thing that came to my mind. I don't I don't know why I felt the need, need to share that, but I did. The, uh, the one thing I, I do remember uh, about growing up too, we did have um, earthquake drills in school um, where oh, yeah. we would Absolutely. like, you know, yeah, I do remember that. So yeah, that was something. Get on your desk. Hold your head. Yep. Just or, or uh, push everyone out of the way and run out, <laughs> run outside screaming. <laughs> Do you have a preference? Here's the food question: to a fried chicken wing seasoned with a dry rub or fried first, or do you like to have sauce applied afterward? I th- I think you I I'm I'm fine with dry rub, but for the most part, I think um, uh, you I I I lean always toward. Um, the sauce afterwards yeah. and toss. Um, I'm yeah, not so a that, big fried uh, chicken fan. I, I I like it okay, but my yeah. wife, it's like her favorite thing. Her favorite thing my in wife. is fried chicken, yeah. and uh, not not really for me. Fried chicken is uh, delicious. It's good, but yeah. So like, uh, yeah, I've been I, a big I, fan of the the Nashville hot chicken craze that's taken over. Mm. Uh, yes. major metropolitan areas i like give me a heat with like sort of coleslaw maybe a nice sort of creamy sauce on top of that i'm into that but yeah i can get with that but yeah if it's just fried chicken like i don't like it i mean i don't that's different like you season that or you just cook it how you cook it but like for, if you're talking wings i gotta go i gotta go toss it in sauce rather than dry rub well that's this week's episode 
I we're wow. not doing one next week because I will be in New England. But I'll have a story from Fenway, and I think and this isn't locked yet. But I think oh. I'm going to be able to go to Cooperstown as well. Whoa! Yeah, nice. With former uh, Angels PR man for 40 years, Tim Mead, now the president of the Hall of Fame. Oh, I'll, I'll so, ask for him personally. You should. He's he's like have one of the nicest dudes the ever. True Blue LA podcast. Just just drop my name. He he will just do everything for you. Yeah, that's right. Great. Uh, no, that's that's awesome. I hope you have a great time. Uh, whether you go to the Hall of Fame or not, but Fenway should be cool. Have you have you ever been to Fenway? I have been outside of it, but it was. Um, I think Boston was in. I think they were in Baltimore that week, so I couldn't go nice. to the game. Cool. Uh, so yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, enjoy the All Star Game, and we will talk to you uh, after the second half starts.